You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, let's start by going back to yesterday's Ironman triathlon in uh, Yall. It was hit, unfortunately, by a very sad double tragedy as two of the competitors died. Now, it was during the swim section of the competition. Anne Mooney, Southern correspondent with the Irish Sun, is writing about it in today's paper. And uh, she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Anne. Morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, at this stage, both men have now been named. We we, we know who these two gentlemen were. Yes, we do. Um, one of them is a 64-year-old Canadian, um, Ivan Chittenden, uh, who is from Toronto. Um, and he had come over with a group of friends from Canada to participate in this event. Um, Well-known in triathlon and marathon um uh, circles and uh, actually uh, very sadly he had retired only about a year ago um, very fit, very healthy and he was uh, the first um, person who was um, who, who uh, he, he appeared to have actually become uh, ill as he entered the water and um, he was brought ashore and uh, you know despite the efforts uh, to revive him, who died there. Um, the second man is um, is Brendan Wall, and uh, he was originally from Slane in County Mead, uh, but had been um, living in England for quite a number of years, living in Solihull. Um, and uh, he appears to have died um, possibly um, by drowning. Uh, because he was retrieved from the water uh, by one of the um, safety boats that accompanied the swimmers. Uh, and he was, uh, they worked on him on the boat and then he was transferred to the um, to the Yall RNLI inshore lifeboat, which took him ashore at Clay, uh, Clay, Clay Beach. And um, he was, he was pronounced dead at the scene as well. Um Obviously, uh, you know, Patricia, in these events, there are thousands participating. And this was a 1.7 kilometre swim, uh, which uh, had, as you know, the storm, Storm Betty wrecked havoc on everything, including this massive international event, which draws thousands and thousands of people uh, to you all. Yeah, not year. not just those taking part. It's all the people no, who, no, co- who, no, who come out no, to watch it. No. And because of Storm Betty, the previous day's triathlon, this was the half triathlon that I believe both these gentlemen were taking part in, that had been postponed until the Sunday. Uh, yes, I, I, it, it was quite unclear as to whether they had run the two alongside each other on Sunday or whether uh, they had just gone with the half the half triathlon. Um, but certainly, um, uh, Ivan and um, and Brendan would have been very experienced triathlon athletes, mm. and uh, they would have been aiming um, to participate with a view to uh, getting a place. There were a hundred places up for grabs um, for finishers in this event um, for international for world championships in Hawaii and, and New Zealand. Uh, so, you know, they would have been, I, I think they would have been among the athletes who had registered for this 
with the hope of getting those one of, of getting those the places, yeah. Places. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why these competitions, uh, this isn't a, a kind of a day out and a bit of a stroll. These are serious, uh, serious competitions. Oh, now, absolutely. Is, uh, and is and is there any indication at this stage as to what caused the deaths of um, uh, Ian and Brian? Ivan and Brian, obviously not until the post mortems are complete okay. in Cork University Hospital today. But it would appear that there may have been a medical incident in the case of, um, of Ivan um, because it was almost as soon as he entered the water that he um, he got into difficulties. And um, there's the, there was talk that there may have been, you know, heart attack or whatever. But mm. as I say... Um, we'll and, wait for the post-mortems. Yes, and because because of the fact that, the, um, that Brendan was out at sea and was swimming... Um, there seems to be a possibility that that may have been a drowning. But the the, the seas yesterday um, were very, very high and the waves were very extreme. Um, and um, I spoke to uh, one of the contestants who had finished the marathon, uh, marathon event um, from Bandon, and he said that, um, that it was extremely difficult because they were... They were literally swimming against the waves to get to a yellow boy, which was a boy, which was the marker. And then he said it was much easier swimming back, obviously, because of the waves helping them coming back. But he did say that it was very, very rough um, when they were swimming and they were swimming at an angle um, to get out there. Uh, so, but none, none of the people uh, of the competitors that I spoke to yesterday um were aware that the tragedies had happened uh, until they came, until they finished the event or halfway through the event, um, and obviously they were all shocked. Um, there has been there has been talk as well about the fact that once these once these two men died, uh, and they died relatively within a short time span of each other, uh, there was talk as to why the event wasn't cancelled. Um, but I think that in these cases that they put in so much work, so much effort, they travelled so far um, to get here because there were um, there were competitors from all over the world there. I spoke to Australians, I spoke to Irish people living in Australia, I spoke to people from America. Um, you know, the, the Canadians were there. Um, they had, they had travelled from all over the world literally to take part in this. It, it's it's a cult, not a cult, really, but it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things that they do. So I think that, um, I'm not saying it was right that they didn't cancel it, but I also can see why they didn't. Yeah, and, and, and I also um, was reading online that the logistics of calling off something like that after it has started. They were making the point that if they had made a decision to stop it, they would have had competitors at all different stages on the road, on the bike and then to actually stop it like people's bikes are in a different location people's clothes are in a different location you're talking about 2,000 people it's logistically it's very hard to stop it once it's actually started It would have been impossible I actually agree there, it would have been impossible um, and I think that um, I think that probably because of the dedication and the amount of work that these athletes put into these events, um, I, I do think that the two men who died would probably have wanted it to go ahead. You know, in terms of 
if they were participating, they would have liked to have continued participating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, somebody's saying, why didn't they call it off until next weekend? The very fact of what you said, I think 64 different countries were represented yes. uh, yesterday. Yes. You you know, people would have had, are, are probably heading back today. People have flights uh, booked. You couldn't ask people who had funded the cost of their trip over here to expect them to come back next weekend. But a lot of people then I are asking, why wasn't the swim part of it cancelled? And that does happen in other um, triathlons. If the swimming condition, you know, there's something yeah. around this, you know, they, they extend the run and the cycle instead. I wonder, was was that spoken about or thought about yesterday? Um, I, I actually um, had heard that originally that the swim was to take part in um, uh, take place in a more sheltered part of the of the bay, um, you know, within the kind of confines of um, of the town, you know, rather mm. than going out into the open water. And that a decision was made to actually change back to the original to the original um, start point. Um, so I I don't know whether. You know what what was in the minds of the organisers, but obviously these events are, are are don't come easy um in terms of um the amount of um effort that goes into them on the part of the athletes um and so I suppose that um they 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 work through the hardest parts of it yeah. You know? Yeah, um, and gra- and I imagine um and a great sense of shock and sadness locally in y'all. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the whole thing was completely tinged um, and overshadowed by the fact that two people had died um, during the event. And, um, you know, everybody was just thinking of their families. And, and you know, when you think of it, these, these two men were not living in Ireland. Mm. Um, so, just you know, people were thinking of the families who were being notified yeah. Probably as we well, probably be well before we were speaking, but we're being no- notified in Canada and in England, yeah, and in 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 another part of Ireland that uh, their loved ones were dead. Yeah, um, not, not easy, not not so, not easy so, uh, for sure. So. And you know, this is as we said, a huge event. It it attracts you know a huge number of people uh, to y'all, and a lot of local people involved as as volunteers. I mean, an event like this can't go ahead without the volunteers, you know, stewarding, oh, etc. Gosh, no. Um, and not only the volunteers from Yall, but they come from all over the country. There were outriders um, there, you know, escorting the, the, the cyclists and the runners um, uh, on, on their motorbikes. The, the guards had a huge presence there, including the, um, the, the, the guard, the uh, roads units and, and motorcycles. Um, and there were, um, there were stewards, one of the stewards, uh, who directed us had an American accent and looked like an American policeman mm. and actually acted like one. So, I, you know, in terms of, I think they come from all over to actually help out. There were children on the road handing out water to the um, to the runners. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were all there. They were all um, well signposted in terms of the high-vis jackets and all that. So, yes, it was a huge effort locally 
and internationally. Yeah, yeah. and then to be tinged with such, such sadness. Uh, all we do is extend our deepest, deepest sympathies uh, to the families of the uh, two men and, and indeed to everybody in that uh, Ironman world. They're a very close bunch of people. Everybody seems to know everybody, particularly the ones that compete at the level you're talking about, the ones who are looking for qualifications to um, Hawaii. It's a, such a sad, sad thing to happen. Listen, Anne, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us yesterday. Thank you for that. Thank you. Patricia. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. That is Anne Mooney, Southern correspondent with the Irish uh, Sun, writing about the Ironman uh, in the Sun today. Uh, a different Anne by text says, Patricia, it's absolutely disgrace that the Ironman event took place over the weekend. Did they not see the sea conditions yesterday? The sea was always going to be rough because of Storm Betty on Friday. Um, surely the organisers had plenty of time to reschedule the event, uh, particularly when the storm was announced. I hope families uh, soothe the organisers. Um, at the end of the day, two people, two people, two men have lost their lives. There has got to be respect for uh, uh, life at the end of the day. Well, again, I go back to the point that Anne made, the fact that, you know, you've entries from 64 countries. It isn't as simple as like a local event where you could cancel and say, oh, when the sun is shining, we'll do it next weekend because the people had already arrived uh, for the for the event. And like while a lot of people found the sea part challenging, it was the outward part. It was actually getting out. I saw some of the video clips that were going around to yesterday and there was huge waves as the people were entering uh, the sea but these are people who were used to swimming in the sea but it was it was a difficult, difficult swim uh, yesterday. And a Fomoy listener says, Patricia, very sad what happened in Yall. Uh, again, um, this Fomoy listener is making the same it should it not have been postponed until next, next weekend, particularly when we knew about the storm Betty. As I say, I suppose it couldn't be because so many of the contestants coming from overseas. Kicking off next week your chance to win and win big Ireland. There are taking on South Africa and the Stade de France in Paris. It's on the 23rd of September and we want to send you and a friend to support Ireland on the world stage. We've got return flights, three nights accommodation in Paris and we also have a gold gold category match tickets with hospitality uh, thrown in and you can find out how to win the ultimate rugby experience by tuning in to C103 next Monday morning and Ken will be back from his holidays and at 8.15 he will be announcing the details of how to win that ultimate rugby experience and staying on sports I was watching some of the World Championships which are going on in Hungary uh, yesterday did you see uh, Rajit Adelecki in her race in the 400 metres goodness me she breezed into the uh, semis with such a controlled uh, performance. I saw her after, she didn't even look like she was out of breath. It was absolutely uh, stunning. And of course, Adelecki, the Tala native, she's had another brilliant season and she's coming into the World Championships in Hungary with genuine hopes of making the podium. And if, if she runs like that, we could be going for gold with Rashid Adelecki. And of course, there's a second uh, hope in the 400 metres uh, semi finals because uh, Charlene uh, Maudsley, she finished fourth in her heat and that got her through to the semi-finals. So there's two semi-finals in the 400 metres. Adelecki is at 8.12 and then Maudsley is running in the second semi-final at 8.20 tonight. So good luck uh, to the girls. But there is a stunning photograph of Rashida Adelecki on the front, I think it was the front page of the Irish Independent 
joined uh, today with her magnificent hair flowing. It really is. It's a stunning, stunning uh, photograph. Uh, great to see our athletes uh, doing so well on the world stage. Now, we all like to think that we live in a kind, caring world where everyone is honest. Sadly, it isn't always the case. And uh, joining me in the hope that we might prick somebody's conscience is uh, Fiona Corcoran, Fiona Corcoran, founder of the Greater Chernobyl Cause uh, Charity. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you for having me on well, this morning. Great, great to speak to you. We haven't caught up with you in quite some time. Now, I was really saddened uh, to read this um, last Friday in the in the Echo. Tell me what happened. It's your charity shop, um, uh, charity in, shop. In, in Merchants Quay. Yeah, the Greater Chernobyl Cause charity shop, Ground Floor Merchants Quay in Patrick Street. And one of our volunteers was speaking with the customer and she went to the cash box and the cash box had been stolen with over 200 euros. And we don't understand how something like that could have occurred, how it could have happened, because we have kind of security measures in place. Now, admittedly, we don't have CCTV because we can't afford the CCTV, right? Okay, like number one, shop is completely run by volunteers and all of our stuff is, you know, sourced. It's sponsored by companies throughout the country, but somebody came in and they decided to take the the box. And, you know, um, one of our lovely volunteers rang me and said, you know, the box is gone. So I, first and foremost, I said, look, thank God nobody's been hurt, you know. And I was really cross and very, very annoyed that somebody could do such a thing to steal, number one, but to steal from a charity, you know. And things are so difficult at the moment for charities like ourselves, you know. And then I sat and I thought about it and I said, God, did somebody really need to to take that? Were they, you know, suffering from themselves, you know? And it just, we, it doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that went through uh, my head. What well, you know, was it somebody who was that mm. stuck uh, for money? Yeah, that was but, badly yeah. stuck. But, yeah. yeah, but I but I assume uh, Fiona, the cash box was closed, so there could have cash been cash box was closed. Yeah, so there right could have been under the counter. Yeah, okay. okay, like you, you and your staff know there was two hundred mm-hmm. euro in it. Whoever took yeah. that, there could have been just. 20 pence inside it. It could have been 20 pence You know, they didn't know. So that's what would lead no. me to believe that somebody who would genuinely need it, you know, would they really would they really go um, at that low? Uh, roughly what time of the day did it happen? It was 3pm. It was approximately 3pm. So they had to come into the shop and they had to go right behind the counter. Um, they couldn't have reached over the counter because that's impossible so they'd go right behind the counter and maybe that customer was a, de- a decoy you know that was speaking to Noreen I'm like Miss Marple because I'm trying I to know. get my head around yeah, because it, obviously know. normally so normally there's somebody behind the counter but if they yeah, get yeah. distracted by a customer to go somewhere else yeah, in the shop leave the counter now yeah you wonder was it, was it a bit of a distraction were they, theft were they watching yeah. had they been watching us had they been watching us for a few days maybe that's it we just don't know now I, I know. I, I know you said in the paper that you, you know you don't want to press charges here, but no. you're appealing to the person. Come yeah. on, be just be Please. decent. Come just on. return it. Yeah. Fuck up, and you know, just return it and set it in the church or something. You know, drop it in an envelope. You know, leave it somewhere. Call me. My number is zero eight seven nine five three six one three three. You know, we meet you someplace. Absolutely. Maybe you need help as well. You know, maybe they do need help. And like two hundred euro mightn't sound like a lot of money for yeah. to, to many people, but explain to us, Fiona, sure, how, how sure. what what you could do with two hundred euro. Could do with two hundred euros, now that would actually feed an elderly couple for one month in Ukraine. 
Can you imagine that for mm. one month? That's what 200 euros will, you know, will do for our people. And it's just so difficult at the moment. And this shop is sort of like our mainstay for funding because despite our appeals, things are very, very difficult. Um, you know, we've got our Ukrainians here, our Ukrainian refugees, literally from Cork to Donegal that we're supporting, you know. And then we've got our humanitarian aid hubs right throughout, we say, Ukraine, including Kharkiv, which is now kind of known as the city of no windows. We're a year and a half now since, imagine that, a year and a half since the war began. It's genocide. You know, it's war against Ukraine. These innocent people are suffering. Those that leave then from, from their war-torn, we'll say, cities, coming on trains, coming up to the safe city of Lviv, which is no longer safe, that was bombed, as you know, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, you know, it's very, very difficult for Ukrainian people and also for organisations, you know, like ourselves. Um, and you I know, know you've in, always mm-hmm. been great in, in the past, like before this war uh, even mm-hmm. happened. You're one of those charities that have has, has put a lot of resource and effort into older people who often get older. forgotten about, when, you are. know, when we deal with them, with, mm-hmm. with, with charities. And a lot of those older people were the ones who didn't leave because they don't have the wherewithal mm-hmm. to leave. And they're a generation who will never leave their home country. No. They're forgotten by state and by family. Like we found people surviving, I think we discussed this before, Patricia, surviving on four cents per day per person. Can you imagine four cents per day per person? It's absolutely horrific. Now, one of our projects at the moment, we're in the process of buying this four-wheel drive uh, vehicle that will carry, we say, our people to the hospitals and also go into the remote villages, again, where our elderly people are living. You know, they've come from the Harkis and the Kiev and they're out and there's no infrastructure whatsoever. There are no roads. So it's a really robust vehicle, you know, Mm -hmm. that we're buying. And once that's bought, you know, you know, Finance again, very, very difficult. That's just one of the projects. Then sending 40 foot containers of humanitarian aid that will be distributed throughout different parts of Ukraine. We're very lucky with our partners on the ground. But, like, you know, it's and are, are, you st- are you still managing to do that even with the war? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Like, we will return. We will return in, we hope, September. September, we hope, maybe early or October with this village, and we'll bring it as far apart as Lviv, because it's not, you know, even though I said a while ago, like that was bombing there the, the, the week before last, um, but we'll bring it as far as Lviv, and then we'll hopefully, hopefully, you know, if things are safe, and if we think it's okay, we'll take the train down to Kharkiv, or people down in Kharkiv, but it all depends, of course. Yeah, you but know, it's important I, I, to get supplies out that sort of September, October, like, because of the winter, they have very the severe winter winters. And in, and that's another thing, generators are so, so important. Like, there's one very remote school, uh, school actually in Ukraine and they were absolutely thrilled and overjoyed with the donation of, we say, like a generator. Like, and as the teacher said, she said, look, no, you know, um, not only like is our school open, but it's also like, it, it's acting kind of a 24-hour kind of like bomb shelter as well. But that's not just one of like many um, generations that we were 
able to purchase because of the generosity, you know, of, of people. our people in Ireland. And, would, and, and, and I, think, I think it's important, you know, because you, you see some, it always annoys me when I see misinformation online when people mm-hmm. post up saying, oh, look, everything is OK in, in, in Ukraine. It's what they okay. have to remember is people are trying to live their lives. Can you it was, imagine yeah, trying it, to yeah, live? Was yeah. like and a, you're listening to the sirens. You're yeah. listening and this is what our but people schools, are like. You know, yeah. schools are, are, are open. People go to mm-hmm. work. People are trying to. That's what happens in a war situation. Life has to go on. It's a difficult life. life. To go on. It's difficult, and, but it has yeah, to go on. It has to go on. And when I read things on social media, you know, it's like, oh, there's no war there. It's safe. I'm sorry, Ukraine is not safe. No. The no. bomb is, is absolutely like horrific. And as I said, waking and awaking during the night and listening to the sirens and going down and, and speaking about bomb shelters. Again, we were very fortunate to be in a position to finance a bomb shelter with our partner father's house, about 12 kilometers from Kiev. And there the children have the, and the children, and again, the elderly people, Patricia, they have the sanctuary and the safety of being in a bomb shelter. Yeah, but, you know, keep, try and keep them safe when those bombs yeah, come around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, and, and, and are you always looking for donations for the shop, we, Fiona? We, you know, we are. We, yeah. We're a shop with a little bit of a difference. Okay. We're not any bigger, we're not any better. Right. But we sell everything that's new. And oh. we're fortunate enough that we say companies will give us their end of line stock. Brilliant. Or as opposed to giving us a donation, they'll give us a percentage of their stock. Or somebody may receive a present, a birthday present, they no longer wear of an item that's too big or too small. So we're always looking out for items. And as I said, it's our main source at the moment of funding. Now, we will go anywhere to open up another shop. If there is anybody out there that has a premises that they would allow us even for a few months or a few weeks as a pop-up shop, we would grab it. And again, you know, that will be entirely like operated by, we say, like volunteers. Okay. So if there's anybody right. out there. All right. <laughs> well, continue the great work that, you, that you're doing you. and, and we'll, we'll start, we'll go back to where we started. Whoever took that ca- cash box, please, please return please. it. The money please, is badly please. needed. Please return the Listen. money. And again, my number is 0879536133. God bless. God bless. Mind so yourself thank and you thanks so for so joining much. us. Uh, bye bye. That is uh, the wonderful Fiona Corcoran, founder of the Greater Chernobyl uh, Cause. How low would you have to go to rob a cash box? From a charity shop, it just uh, I, I just can't get my head around it. And John Paul's just told me following my chat with uh, Fiona of the Greater Chernobyl uh, cause and somebody robbing their cash box uh, on them with the two hundred euro got at them. Um, John Paul says a number of people have rang up want to donate to Fiona's uh, charity uh, following the story of the cash box being robbed. So we're passing on all of the details. So hopefully we'll get that money uh, replaced for her and maybe a little bit more. So thank you. There's a real, real kindness uh, out there. Now several bodies have come together to raise awareness of rental scams. That's ahead of the new academic year. Housing charity Threshold, they've joined forces with the Irish Council of International Students and the Union of Students of Ireland and they've launched what they're calling a Scam Watch campaign. Joining me is Nathan Murphy. Nathan is the Vice President of the Dublin branch of uh, the USI. Good morning to you, Nathan. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Do you believe there's been an increase in the number of people affected by scams and fake landlords? I mean, we see them every year, but is, is there an increase this year, do you think? I think um, post-COVID now we've seen quite an increase of all the scams kind of coming out. Obviously, we over COVID, not many students were on campus, but with more students, with the student population growing, more students are requiring accommodation. So more scams are popping up because more people are looking. 
Talk me through what are the most common scams when it comes to the rental accommodation? So the most common ones that I've came across myself now is for international students, especially who put down a deposit and put down the first month of rent before seeing the property just over like the phone or an email, a landlord, because they're so desperate for a place. And then they'll come over and the property doesn't even exist. Like they'll go to the house and it'll be some person and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Certain landlords will just put in a random address near the college and then they'll come knock on the door and they're like, we're really sorry, but we didn't put that ad up. And for the international students, uh, Nathan, they have to do it over the phone or online. They don't have the luxury of going to view the property. Absolutely not. And now when you hear stories of students, international students who come over, can't find the place. They're staying in hostels, hotels, somewhere sleeping in the airport because they've nowhere else to go. They don't know the area. They're scared. They've come over to do like a semester or a full year in college and they're just here now and they're like, what do I do? Uh, but also our own Irish students can get caught out as well. It isn't just the international students. Oh no, Irish students, well, absolutely. Like you have people who, they will have this lovely property up on Daft or certain places and it looks amazing and students get in and they just, the photos are really old. There's mould everywhere. They're not allowed, um, the landlord has like changed the conditions. So certain ones we see, Students aren't allowed to use the kitchen. They have um, microwaves in the bedroom. That's all they can use. They have kettles in the bedroom. They're not allowed to socialise in the house. They feel like prisoners locked to the room. Yeah, and I've I've seen, you know, things go up online with cramming people in, you know, way too many mm. in... in, in yeah. I mean, that, that simply shouldn't be allowed. No, it shouldn't. There should be protections for people. Like we seen one on, uh, from Sligo there the other day and it had three sets of bunk beds in the one room charging 400 each like that's over two grand for one room alone six people in the one room and then the property is on airbnb down the weekends yeah i actually that was the one where you you have to vacate by 12 o'clock on friday because it reverts it reverts to airbnb at the weekend yeah which is it's shocking to hear it is because these landlords are trying to maximize their profits like they don't really care about the needs and the wants of the students like to afford that accommodation, students need to find part-time jobs along with their studies and them having to leave on the weekend. Some people could be commuting long distances. Like we know there are certain students that come down from Donegal to Dublin and they have to leave on the Friday. They don't get back till late Friday night. They're exhausted and then they're travelling back on the Sunday. They can't get a part-time job. Yeah, and are landlords, are they allowed to do that? I mean, morally it's, it feels so wrong, but I mean, are, are there laws allowing them to do it? Not for digs, no. There's no laws. Digs don't come under the RTB. Ah. There's no protections for anyone that's in comes into digs. And that's why we're trying to ask the government to put in legislation to protect people going into digs because we have people charging €800 Euro a month from Monday to Friday for just a room. And like 800 is a lot for a student to be paying. Mm. And and obviously you're in the in the Dublin area, Nathan, and and we would have a number of students from Cork who are you know leaving certs result coming out, whose you know, first mm-hmm. preference uh, could be a Dublin, and obviously you can't. It's a, well, it's, it will be a very long commute from Dublin uh, to Cork. Yeah. Uh, it's it the it's the cost issue in Dublin, isn't it? That's just making it even harder for students to study in Dublin. Absolutely. Like we see, like there is um, purpose-built student accommodation done, but some places are charging upwards of €300, close to €300 a week, which is insane. Like having a full-time job, like you could be getting paid €400, €450 a week and you can barely pay that then with all your bills as well. So having that kind of cost 
on your burden with study and you see so many students dropping out or we do see students commuting from Galway to Dublin or Cork to Dublin like every day. It's crazy. How can people be expected to study? And I know there's a report out today showing that there simply isn't enough accommodation for every student uh, this year. Uh, so I worry in particular about the first years who, who, of course, haven't got their college place yet. What mm-hmm. is your advice, Nathan, to somebody who needs to secure accommodation? The advice for someone looking to secure is just apply early, like just look for all your options. Like if you, certain students are afraid of going into digs because there are horror stories, like as I've said, but certain places that do digs, the landlords can be very lovely. Certain people take them in and they're part of the family for the year. So don't be afraid of digs. Kind of if digs is an option that there is. But also we need more affordable student accommodation. We need the government to provide colleges with the money. Like we have so many colleges that have planning permission for 800, 1,000 beds for students, but they can't afford to build because the prices are rising. So we need the government to step in and fund that uh, accommodation. Yeah, and certainly for the students, uh, that would be for the students uh, for the future. And then mm. uh, for the particular college, if somebody is going to a particular college, the actual students' union, I, I take it they all have accommodation officers. Are they able to help in any way? To a certain degree, certain colleges will have like a full um, staff there that can help find um, accommodation off campus. But certain colleges, it's only the student union officer. And like we can only do so much. Like we're mm-hmm. only like early 20 students. Like we haven't got that much experience. And for us trying to help find accommodation for a student, it's very difficult it is. And with how bad it is currently, especially in Dublin, it's just, it's extremely difficult. But we, the student unions in all colleges are there to help. You can go to them. Whilst it might not be ideal, we might be able to find somewhere for you for the time being, and then you can look somewhere else then. So we can kind of um, help you in the um, kind of interim to finding a permanent place then for you to be. Yeah, and in the meantime, then just be very careful um, about Mm -hmm. if you are accepting a property, make sure you've inspected it. It's, yeah. I mean, even down to, I, I read somewhere, when you get handed a key, make sure that the key opens the lock. That that can happen. You get handed a key and it's, it's it doesn't even open the lock. Yeah, like, they get so kind of um, smart with the scams lately. Like, there's so many ones to risk. But if you're an international student or you're a student from even, like, Cork, going up to something, you can't make it up to view that property. Ask for, like, a video of the property. Ask okay. to do, like, a Zoom call with the um, the landlord just so you can see the property we also recommend having a little rental agreement with them. Like, obviously, there's no laws protecting you as a tenant in digs, but if you have that contract, then you have some backing to yourself. Mm. So we recommend there are templates that you can get for student unions. They'll give them to you, and you get the landlord to sign it and yourself because it protects the landlord as much as it protects you. So it's in their best interest as well as yourself. Yeah, and if there are any, don't ignore red flags. If there's anything suspicious at all, your gut instinct is telling you there's something wrong, then don't ignore those uh, red flags. Mm -hmm. All right, I think it is going to be a very, very tricky year for students, uh, Nathan, uh, this year. And I I think you guys and gals at the various student unions are going to be busy. But in the meantime, we thank you for that and we thank you for joining us on the programme this morning. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Nathan Murphy, who is uh, vice president of the Dublin branch of the USI. And of course, it's on, it's this week, it's Friday, isn't it, that the Leaving Cert results are out and the Leaving Cert results come out first. And then there will be a lag in between. It'll be the following week before the 
first round offers uh, go out and then for the uh, students then it's the scramble then to find uh, accommodation uh, it really is so so difficult somebody said it's terrible that uh, the accommodation complex in Cork has now been taken over uh, to house Ukrainian uh, refugees that's unfair and I know they've changed now it won't have, it's not I don't know why it's not working with that particular accommodation complex in Cork but I know um, around the country the government intervened uh, to stop more of the students' accommodations being taken over by refugees. They must go back. It was okay to use them during the summer months when they're empty, but they must go back into use for the students, particularly, as I say, this year. I will get to, at some stage, hopefully during the programme, I will get to some of the figures that have come out this year, just showing how much uh, the gap between the number of students who are applying for college and the actual number of properties that are available. It's going to be a very, very tricky year for students. Your thoughts uh, coming in. Firstly, a big thank you and a huge well done, says this uh, text. Huge well done and thank you to Danny Collins and the committee of the Bantry Show. They organised a top class day for the whole family at the Beaches Bantry yesterday. It was a credit to one and all, says this sister. No name on it, just wants to uh, call it out. And and well done. And well done to you for sending in that uh, text because uh, those shows and festivals are all organised by voluntary committees who work all year round to get events like that up and running. So it's always great when credit is given and credit where credit is due. So well done to everybody who organised the Bantry show and good to know that it was such a success. And then staying in West uh, Cork, now we're not naming the place here or whatever, uh, but Catherine was on to say was out yesterday in a pub uh, restaurant They ordered burger and uh, chips. There was no side salad uh, or anything. So just a plain burger and chips. The price was €18.50. When they asked if they could have half chips and half mash, which a lot of venues do, or they'll do half chips, half rice, if you're having a a curry-type dish, they were saying, yeah, no problem. But they will charge €4.50 extra. Uh, it's a bit saucy. The pepper sauce was also saucy. Two euro extra and then a glass of orange cordial. So basically water with a splash of cordial. That was one euro. Glass of Coke, three euro fifty. The total, 48 euro. What a rip off. I won't say where, says Catherine, but I'm assuming from that text, uh, Catherine won't be returning. I see I'm always slow to call out uh, restaurants and and that's why I wouldn't, you know, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have named it, I wouldn't have named the premises anyway, because if you talk to anybody doing businesses, we're seeing so many of those restaurants, pub restaurants, pubs on their own, we're seeing so many of them closing because they are finding it so hard with the cost of living, everything has gone up, including everything has gone up for the business them, themselves. It does seem very expensive for what you actually uh, got, uh, Catherine. And I'm wondering, is that standard fare? for everywhere else in the area where you were or did you notice prices uh, anywhere else but yeah you need to check out the prices first but it, it's all the add-ons there seem to have ran your bill up to uh, at 48 euro for what looked like more of a snack really than you know it wasn't like a proper dinner it was like just a, a mid-afternoon at lunch it does seem a little bit on the expensive side 0818 103 103 we started off the programme by talking about the great shock that came out of Yall yesterday with the two competitors who sadly died in the Ironman uh, competition. And somebody says, somebody obviously in the know, for those suggesting that the event should have been postponed until next weekend, these events are also tide dependent. So next weekend wouldn't have worked with the tides. Plus, there's huge level of planning involving permits for extended road closures, the amount of stewards that have to be 
uh, arranged for guard the presence etc you can't just move all of it to another weekend anyone making those comments has obviously never been involved in organising a big uh, sporting event yeah and I also made the point because was it 64 nationalities were represented uh, yesterday at the Ironman event so a lot of people travelled and a lot of people had would have already arrived in the country by the time Storm Betty uh, hit and so there was no way that the organisers of the Ironman were going to know that it was going to be on the weekend of uh, Storm Betty but you just think for the competitors the amount of money it costs it's one of those sporting one of those hobbies that really costs a lot of money if you're planning on travelling around uh, the world to go to these triathlons and that's what a lot of the triathlon people uh, do now I know there would have been a lot of local people taking part as well and okay for the local people it might have been okay for them to have it on a different weekend but as that listener says all of the other organisation that goes into an event like that so yeah I can fully understand why it isn't just as simple to postpone to postpone it I can see questions coming in for Annalise keep those coming because she'll be joining us uh, later on and then a text says why in God's name are we still having water restrictions in Clonakilty? Like with the weekend just gone, there was water restrictions in place. Think of all of the rain that has fallen this summer. Never mind the amount of rain that fell on Friday alone. And yet here we are, the good people of Clonakilty with water restrictions. We have serious problems with the infrastructure in this town, yet there's still building work going on. This needs to be seriously uh, addressed. So we got on to Irish Water, Ishka Aaron, uh, to find out what's going on. And they say, yes, nighttime water restrictions were necessary in the Clonakilty area last weekend. The restrictions, they say, are necessary in order to maintain a daytime water supply for customers. Water levels, they say, are reviewed every morning and then updates are provided to the community as necessary. Now, they do point out that our texter is right. Heavy rainfall did occur, but heavy rainfall and the subsequent impact on the river that seemingly has also presented operational challenges at the water treatment plant. And then they've got continued high demand. Obviously, we're right in the middle of the tourist uh, season. That, unfortunately, hasn't allowed for the reservoirs to fully replenish. Therefore, restrictions are necessary until further notice. And I know it kind of feels like water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. And I can sense the frustration in that text with people seeing all this water falling and yet there's water restrictions in place. But it's, you know, this is probably the busiest time of the year for uh, extra people coming into Clonakilty, so there's a lot more water being used as well. But yeah, and of course, as we featured last week on the programme, we know there's pipeline work going on between Bandon and Clonakilty, and of course, the reason for that is it, it's to bring water from Bandon to Clonakilty, but that project is still underway. I don't know when that's due to be finished and when that will help to sort out some of the water issues in Clonakilty, but that certainly is ongoing at the moment. 0818 103 103. Um, Catherine says, in relation to the morning show about charity being robbed. We oh this oh sorry this is the Ballincollig Farmers Market we're listening to Fiona Corcoran is it Fiona they were listening to Fiona uh, speaking and um, they've got on to us to say they want to donate fifty euro to the Greater Chernobyl cause to try and make up the shortfall the money was stolen I tell you people are just so kind thank you thank you uh, for that now when I was talking about the listener who was complaining about the cost of getting the burger and 
trying to get the extra bit of mash instead of chips and being charged, extra charge for the pepper sauce, extra charge for a splash of cordial and uh, the bill coming out at 48 uh, euro for a burger uh, dinner and this person thought that was really expensive and I was saying, look, costs of everything has gone up but of course one of the big, big costs for the restaurant and hospitality industry has got to be the cost of energy, be it electricity and uh, gas. So interesting at the weekend to hear our uh, finance minister, Michael McGrath, saying he's expecting household energy costs to fall over the coming months. And he's also confirmed that there will be energy credits introduced again for this uh, winter. Minister Michael McGrath said the government developed a good model last year around the introduction of energy uh, credits. And they were worth it was about €600, Euro, wasn't it? It was given out to every single household. And that obviously was tried to help us all ease the impact of the energy crisis. And that, of course, came in the wake of the war in Ukraine. However, we're now just seven weeks to go to budget. 2024 uh, and energy companies have been criticised for not passing on to the consumers the reductions that they have seen in wholesale energy prices and they've been seeing those reductions since the start of the year. For example, up to May of this year, wholesale energy prices had fallen by 26% when you look at the period from May 2022 to May 2023. So a 26% fall in the wholesale prices, but prices to the domestic customers haven't come down. If anything, we've seen no reduction in that uh, period of time. So Michael McGrath was speaking at the weekend and he said uh, the time um, the, uh, said at the at the time there's been no adequate explanation for the failure to pass on the savings to household customers and I know the energy companies say oh we buy in advance but like that's wearing a bit thin at this stage now when there's been a whole year where the wholesale energy prices has uh, fallen uh, surely by now they're hedging and buying and they're buying at a much uh, lower uh, price now he did confirm that there will be some energy Credits, which I think a lot of people will will be delighted to hear. And actually, our reporter uh, Katie O'Keefe, uh, when he was in Cork over the weekend, uh, so took some time to uh, speak to him, and she asked him, with the autumn and winter season uh, approaching, what measures will be put in place in the budget. And here's what he had to say: So there will be support for people in the budget uh, in relation to uh, uh, energy costs. I think we have over the last couple of years developed a good model whereby uh, we have used uh, the electricity credit method on four different occasions now and then we have combined that with targeted measures through our social protection system, uh, you know, additional payments on fuel allowance, extending the eligibility for the fuel allowance as well and in tandem with that helping people then over the medium to long term to reduce their bills and reduce their fuel consumption through uh, the retrofitting grants which have been significantly uh, enhanced over recent times. So we have the next seven weeks or so now to decide on what is the appropriate mix of supports in Budget 2024. Uh, We'll have a core package of uh, close to six and a half billion euro between tax and expenditure Um, but we, we have also indicated that there will be further uh, one-off temporary measures and uh, it is certainly the case that some of those measures will focus on energy costs. While I do expect uh, retail energy costs will begin to fall uh, and we need them to fall quickly, uh, we need the pass-through to happen 
because we've seen dramatic reductions at the wholesale level. We need that to happen at retail level. And I think in the coming weeks, we will see some of the main uh, retail energy providers uh, reduce their rates, but the rates aren't going to come back down to uh, the levels that we had for consumers uh, before the war in Ukraine uh, for a while yet. So I think it is uh, undoubtedly the case that uh, many households will require additional help and the budget is the time where we set out how we're going to do that. Okay, well that's a little bit of good news on our electricity bills for the uh, winter months but also I'm reading in, in the papers that there is going to be a bit of a shake-up in the market because there's a new entrant to the market from uh, today because even though we're in the summer months, people are still uh, grappling with the cost of living uh, crisis. And as we head into the autumn, winter, people are starting to worry about their electricity and their gas bills. So there's a newcomer called You Know Energy and they're promising that it could save customers more than €500 a year on your electricity bill. And one of the ways that they can help you to reduce your energy bill is by closely monitoring your energy usage at home. And consumer groups are hoping it will force the rivals to cut their prices and that hopefully will provide a little bit of respite for all the hard-pressed uh, consumers who are struggling with higher bills for everything. And it's not just energy, but uh, right the way down along uh, for food, for anything that you're purchasing at the moment, everything seems to be gone up. And I saw Dara Cassidy, who we've uh, spoken with many times before. He's with the Price Comparison website, Bankers. He said the launch of this new energy provider, he says it's good news for consumers and he's hoping that fresh competition will now force some of the other providers to start cutting their prices in the coming weeks. And it will, because if people start moving to this new group, uh, you know energy, the other companies will realise they're losing customers, so they're going to have to do something to try to hold on to their customers or to get new uh, customers. Um, Now, this is from Derek Cassidy. He said, most householders should be able to save a few hundred euro on their uh, annual electricity bill with you know. And it gives an example of an Electric Ireland customer on the standard rate with a 24-hour meter um, who uses an average amount of electricity, they'd save €260 over the year by moving to UNO's fixed tariff. And he said board gosh customers could save even more. Now, what UNO Energy are planning to do, customers will receive a bill at the start of the month and that will set out your your expected usage for the coming months and the predicted bill will obviously be based on your previous energy use. use. Then as the month goes on, you're able to use your smart meter to, act, to accurately determine through the UNO Energy app how much electricity you're using and then obviously if you're going over the amount that you should be using you can start adjusting your energy consumption and maybe start to think about do we really need those lights on? Do we really need to put the tumble dryer on? Do you really need a 10 minute shower? Can you cut it back to a five minute shower? And then obviously you, the, the plan is you try to get your bill down to whatever the predicted energy bill uh, was and you know Energy have insisted that their unit rate that they're offering is the cheapest in the market. It's now... This means absolutely nothing to me, but they're saying it's 38.04 cent per kilowatt an hour. I don't know what I'm paying for mine. And that does include a VAT. Now, it obviously says you have to have a smart meter in in order for them to be able to give you these predicted uh, bills. But they're saying that customers without a smart meter can still sign up. And what they will then do is they will get onto ESB networks to request a smart meter for your home so that you'll also be able to track and take a look at what electricity you're using uh, throughout the month. And the new provider, this, you know, I hadn't heard of them before today, I have to say, but they're actually part of the same group that owes 
uh, that owes prepaid uh, power. Now, obviously, prepaid power operates on a completely different uh, model. Prepaid power has been in this uh, country for 13 years now. They're here since uh, 20. 10 and they're a group of course who allow customers to buy electricity credit then the credit is uh, used as their electricity is uh, consumed and actually prepaid themselves are are doing well they have more than 170,000 electricity customers and uh, 60,000 gas uh, customers and they employ about 400 people here in Ireland but the, the this new company you know energy, that would be a standalone business from the prepaid power and they'll initially have a staff of uh, 20. So keep a look out for that but as I say, usually once we get any kind of competition into the market you watch, wait and see other, the other providers will start to lower their bills and not, lower their prices and not before time. 0818 103 103 Our lines are open. C103 Jobs the Lodge and Spa in Inchidani, they've got vacancies for spa therapists, receptionist, breakfast and dining waiting staff, a chef and a breakfast supervisor. Uh, CVs to eshepherd at inchidaniisland.com or you can call them 023 882 1104. The Crawford Art Gallery in Cork, they've got a vacancy for an audience development and communications executive. Please apply through their website, which is crawfordartgallery.ie forward slash vacancies. The Scarrell GAA, Milford GAA and Dramina GAA, they're all recruiting for groundskeepers. You must be eligible for community employment scheme and your contact is Evelyn O'Keefe at dealvalley.ie for further uh, details. And an early years assistant with a minimum FeeTech level six in childcare is one of our preschool in Newcastle. CVs, please, to Little Village 0641313 at gmail.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For most Home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie For a lot of children and young adults, the return to education in the coming weeks is an exciting time. They'll catch up with friends and they'll start new classes. But unfortunately for some children, returning to school can be a very, very daunting prospect. The ISPCC has launched a programme to help those children. And joining me is Victoria Housen, who is a communications engagement manager with the ISPCC uh, in Cork. Good morning to you, Victoria. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Would some children actually contact the ISPCC through Childline about their concerns about heading back to school? Yes, we'd have a number of children through our different services. So both our child and listening, our therapeutic support services and our community space-based programs like our Shield Anti-Bullying and our Smart Moves uh, Resilience Building Transition Program. Um, children and young people get in touch with us to talk about basically their anxiety that they feel when they're going back to school or they have a transition or something similar coming up in school um, because it's the unknown and they want to be able to get some answers or, you know, get a little bit of clarity a lot of the times because for all of us, that unknown can be a very scary thing. Mm, yeah, we'll all remember starting a new job and, and we'll all remember heading into school. I think in particular, the, the transition from primary to secondary school, can, can that be troublesome for, for, for a number of pupils? 
Definitely. So that's one of the reasons that we launched this uh, Smart Moves program to help with that transition. Because when you're when you think about it, if you're in primary school, you have one class that you've grown accustomed to. You have one teacher. Um, you have you know your classmates, and you know your your sixth class. You're kind of the big fish now. You know it all, and you're about to go into secondary school where there's going to be multiple teachers for different classes. You're going to have a lot more students. Um, for instance, some children are going from maybe a rural uh, mm. primary school into a city school there's so many changes and transitions that come with this um, that of course it's going to provoke like you said earlier a little bit of excitement as well but also anxiety and especially if you're maybe the older sibling as well in the family and you know you don't have anybody who can tell you how, what it, what to expect it can be very nerve-provoking for children and young people. Do children worry about the academic side of things or do they leave that for the parents? You would be surprised. There would be some children who bring that up, <laughs> who would be a little bit worried about, are they going to be able to handle the kind of um, big people work? We get sometimes phrases like that. Um, am I going to be able to handle my, you know, maybe they've heard from a friend um, or even again, like I said, the, for children who do have an older sibling, they're always doing homework. I don't want to be always doing homework or uh, there's going to be exams and I have to do exams. Otherwise, I won't get into a college. I mean, that's what some children are worried about, even at that young age you wouldn't think it but again they pick up so Mm. much from the world and the environment around them so even you made a very good point maybe parents and caregivers are um, worried about that the academic side of things and you know unbeknownst to themselves that worry can leak into the the family environment and children young people can pick up on it even sometimes teachers might talk about it to try to help prepare them and maybe if they go off the mark a little bit it can be something that they're very worried about of can I handle this and I suppose the big one for for everyone that certainly all parents get really concerned about the idea that your son or daughter is being bullied, bullied. and unfortunately bullying is a, a fact of life. I'm assuming that's something you would hear quite a lot about on Childline. Yes, unfortunately. And that's one of the reasons that the Smart Moves program that's teacher led and uh, you know, we, we, we have completely free program, you know, t- the teacher guidebooks, the journals for students, etc. is completely free. We also accompany with our SHIELD anti-bullying program that schools can also register for and again, completely free. Because when we talk about building resilience, um, we're talking about being able to have coping mechanisms to deal with life challenges. We are not saying that there aren't going to be challenges. Unfortunately, that's just what life is you even mentioned there about starting a new job even we know that anxiety ourselves um it doesn't kind of stop no matter what age we're at we're going to have challenges in life so what we want to do instead is not to try to get rid of them that's impossible but how can we make ourselves you know equipped for these challenges and that's what smart moves looks into doing and it builds resilience and so too does our shield anti-bullying program look at well when bullying happens, what can you do? What can what are some of the tips and skills that parents, caregivers, teachers, coaches, etc. What are the, the 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 tips and skills that you can do to handle this and to be able to cope with this? Because unfortunately, bullying, like anxiety, is an evolutionary concept. We have it in our society, and it would be wonderful one day to not have it. But like you said, it is something that children are going to face, and we need to talk about it and face it head on. And and what advice do you give to parents listening who are worried that their child has been bullied? 
talk about it themselves. I know that sounds, um, you know, like we always keep saying talking, but when you're talking to your child or young person, you have to um, realize that you're a human being yourself. You are going to be triggered by those types of conversations because they're, it's your child, it's your baby, it's the person you love most in the world. And it's going to be very difficult for you sometimes to have those types of conversations. Maybe you could have also been bullied yourself as a young person. So it's one of those things where if you can talk to somebody like ourselves, we have a parent support line, a friend, family member, somebody so that you're prepared for that conversation beforehand, it's going to make it a lot better for the both of you. It's going to make it that you are in a place of almost, you know, um, balance, that you are ready for potential questions that could come up in this conversation, already have answers, and if not answers, ways to get those answers for your child or young person, and them seeing your kind of maybe confidence or comfortableness in talking about these subjects, they will be more likely to come to you in the future as well. So for parents and caregivers, the most important thing is not to handle this alone because it is a scary topic and it's something that can be very triggering for yourself too. So don't try it. Don't basically go on in on it alone, you know. Would you always suggest contacting the school if, 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 if your son or daughter says I'm being bullied? I think it can be very helpful just to make sure that teachers are aware of it. As sometimes, you know, we, we kind of think because teachers are there um, primary at, um, most of the time that they're going to know everything that's going on for their students. And unfortunately, teachers are just so um, underwhelmed, at the, uh, overwhelmed at the moment. Uh, they have so much stuff on that sometimes they might not be aware of an issue. So it's really good to have a sit down and have a conversation about it and see what the options are, looking at what the school's anti-bullying policy is. And again, getting that support on how you're going to tackle this together. You know, again, it's one of those things where in our SHIELD anti-bullying program, we have a SHIELD statement that looks at it takes a village. And it basically means, Mm. you know, getting in the community, getting in people around you. You can't keep this kind of secret. You can't keep this to yourself. Of course, your child or young person might bring that to you going, I don't want to tell anyone. I don't want anybody to know about this. Because for them, it, it could be a weakness. It could be a source of shame. So that's when we talk about, well, no, in our problem solving, in how we're going to be able to deal with this, we need to be able to tackle it together and we need to get help for this. So yes, it can be very helpful to talk to the school. Okay, what advice would you give to a parent who says, I've got a 14 year old daughter who's refusing to go back to school. She suffers very badly from anxiety. Uh, It only came to the surface during COVID. School refusal is one of our main concerns um, and one of the main things, even myself working with families and young people over the years, um, it's unfortunate that anxiety can be something we need at times. This can be helpful evolutionary wise, but when it becomes problematic to that extent, when you really cannot, you just want to avoid the thing making you anxious, the, the solution often is trying to face it. Um, Unfortunately, when we're talking about anxiety, one of the things that we can't do is avoid the thing that makes us anxious forever because it's it's just not realistic when it comes to school. So what we look at doing is coming up with coping mechanisms to help counteract that anxiety. It isn't avoidance. So school refusal is not helpful in the long term. It's a short term solution. So obviously there are coping mechanisms out there. I would I would be doing a disservice to try to give something quick off the cuff right now. But what I I can say for parents like that is to get in touch with us get the coping mechanisms because there is ways that that young person can 
get um, our healthy coping mechanisms to help them battle those feelings of anxiety um, so that they can get into the schoolyard. Maybe not, you know, maybe not for a full day of school straight away, but you're going to slowly expose yourself to the thing that makes you anxious uh, and building up those healthy coping mechanisms. And I do promise parents and young uh, people out there, it, you know, when it comes to anxiety, uh, yes, there's no cure all because it is something that's in us innately that we you're always going to have some sort of anxiety but there are ways of of dealing with it and and overcoming it eventually and I think even just hearing you say to that parent she's not on her own and that there you know this is it's I I hate to say the word common but it is becoming more common and there are more children you you always think (laughs) yours is the only child going through this but which sadly she's not and that's why for parents and caregivers, one of the biggest things that I always end up talking about in maybe a first session or a second session uh, or when we're talking through our programs is good enough is what we're striving for here. You can never have a gold standard or perfect parenting. It's good enough. And the second thing then is talk about it with people you feel you can trust or you can confide in, whether that's a professional or like I said, fan, friends or family members, because you need to know exactly like you said, Patricia, this is common. It's not you. It's not your fault or it's not the child's fault. These are just ways that our bodies have kind of um, responded to a situation in our environment, basically a challenge. And we don't have the coping mechanisms yet, but they are out there and anybody can do them and again it's not to make it sound like oh it's so simple and so easy it's not of course it's a bit of um you know there's 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 going to be a commitment to that there's going to be um work for conversation like that suffering silence or feel like you're the only one Okay, just move your phone slightly there. We were just dropping out a little bit. And just one final one. And again, I think this is probably a conversation that's going on in a lot of households. A parent whose 10-year-old son is going into a new class with a teacher who's known to give too much homework. Should the mother say something at the start of the school year? Uh, this is this is common enough, I think, in every school. Oh, Mr. So-and-so is known for giving loads of homework. It is. And it's so, you know, again, it's very difficult to kind of quantify what's too much. That's what a lot of teachers will come back saying is that, like, I have a lesson plan to try to get through. And, you know, so playing devil's advocate, because I understand where parents are coming from. But we also have teachers who worry about that, of having, you know, basically parents coming to them saying this. But yet they have a, a curriculum to get through. And on one hand, parents want, don't want too much homework, but they also want their children to do well and, and get through the curriculum. So it is difficult to sort it out. And that's, again, why we look at kind of community interventions and we talk to the schools about reaching out to parents having you know sessions having um uh group uh, uh talks with the parents where they can be involved in that communication about what the homework plan could look like and what is too much where are the children's concerns coming from and also for parents and caregivers to have that information beforehand can be really helpful as you know too much what does that mean is it that you know you feel like your children are kind of struggling with the amount that it's actually physically taking up quite a number of hours in the day or is it that the homework level is quite complex to be doing at the home you know maybe Mm. it is homework that actually is taking so long because it's it, it needs more support and should maybe be done in the classroom so again quantifying it for your teachers or your school before having those conversations you know talking to other parents and again going in on it together and really communicating um, because again it could be that you know 
children need a little bit of extra support um, or again like you said it could be that it's just something where it's actually just it's physically going to take a such you know x or y's uh, number of hours in the day and that's too much compared to other um, homework that's given from other teachers and you know what what can we do do about that can we problem solve it and look at a solution together um, because sometimes as well like I said teachers themselves they have these complaints coming from parents and they themselves don't know what the solution is you know because they're yeah. they're doing their they have a job as well to do so and they're they're trying to the, and, and as well as that it could be just a great big urban myth and the teacher mightn't be handing out that much homework wait and see to get your child into the classroom and wait and see what happens and I, I'm a great advocate for parents associations as well uh, Victoria and I know parents associations struggle to get people to go on the committee and to, and to attend meetings but they can be a great sounding board as well that's it exactly and again it's something where uh, that's your way of making the school aware of concerns and issues as, as well because something exactly like you said it sometimes can be even um you know you're worrying about something that hasn't happened yet yeah. and you're basically worrying about it twice so you might as well wait until you can actually kind of you know ask the questions or bring it to the teacher's notice first before kind of worrying too much and and you made a very good point as well it might not actually happen no, people have no. this idea about secondary school or you know that it is going to be so much more of a because you hear stories from other people but again they're anecdotes and you know people are telling those anecdotes at different stages in their lives and different moods and emotions we all like to as well you know I've put a little bit of exaggeration or a bit of sauce on a story so <laughs> keeping all that in mind Okay we leave it there listen great words of advice Victoria I've enjoyed our chat thank you for that thanks for joining thank us Thank you so much uh, Good morning Jen of course for any child listening Childline is available 1-800-666-666 that is uh, Victoria Housen who is a community engagement manager with the ISPCC. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. And then our monthly insurance slot. We're returning to the topic of house insurance. And uh, joining me is always Paul Kavanagh of uh, McCarthy Insurance uh, Group. Uh, good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Paul, and this has got a lot. This is to do with people being underinsured, and it's all tied in with building inflation. And we know that building inflation has been soaring now for a number of years. It has, uh, and, and, and really more so in the last 24 months. Uh, we're waiting on the latest um, Society of Chartered Surveyors. Uh, they have a, an annual report, and then they update <coughs> their calculator online. And um, that is coming. It's coming in September. We've been on to them, and it's coming, and we hope to have more information on that, obviously, next month. But the, the, what what is true to fact is that the prices are still soaring, the price of rebuilding, the price of renovations. And I'm hearing the the stories that I want to relay to our listeners here just to say to them, you know, some people think it's hearsay, some people think it's rumour, some people think it's scaremongering. It's none of, it's none of them. It, this is really, really hitting home now where the cost of rebuilding in some cases has nearly doubled so a person who built their bungalow 20 years ago, maybe for 150000 that house is probably would cost today to rebuild somewhere in the region of 300000 So uh, if that person then only insures the house for 150000 what happens? Well, they're really only half insured. That's, that's as blunt as I can put it. Uh, and um, it's the same now with all insurers across the board. Everybody has come... On this line, uh, uh, the central bank uh, are trying to promote 
people to really look at this. What I have found, Patricia, talking to people, especially elderly people, is that they really don't know the value of their house. They know what they might get that somebody has sold one in the area or something like that. But they don't know the asset that they're sitting on. So, for example, a three-bedroom bungalow, I would have put my finger in the air previously and said, you know, is 200,000 okay? It probably is. Mm. That was then. Now, I would have said closer to 300,000. So, and and then there's been a lot of improvements. People make improvements and they don't tell their insurers about them, but they should really be talking to a builder or a quantity surveyor or somebody in the locality who can help them to, to say, you know what, uh, this could really cost you 300,000 to rebuild it now not and you know back in back back in in the 80s and the 90s people built their own bungalows and yeah, and, yeah. and did them, did them quite cheap but like if if it's burned to the ground or if there's a partial burning in the kitchen uh, or wherever then really they want to put back you know there'll be builders brought in and 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 the the, the We'll have to get skips and we have to take away all the debris and then you have to comply with the county council. And there's just so much involved at this stage. Uh, and, you, and you're there thinking, well, I'm OK, I've got my house insurance. But lo and behold, when they, you take a look at your house insurance, it might only cover half the costs. Correct. And that is okay. the big. And the, the, the latest report that we're getting, one insurer actually said to me that the take up in the campaign was so low 3.6% was the figure I was quoted. That's a, a very low take-up. We're seeing a better take-up in our offices where people are talking to us, but we do find that elderly people in particular are kind of going, I don't really have an idea. Can you tell me what you think it's worth? And we can't really, but we have to try and work with them and, and, and see is there some local builder or, as I said, some local surveyor that might help them, you know, might say, look, that's going to cost about 300000 And you need to be on the safe side here. So it's there's been a, a lot of campaign on to get this to happen, but it, what we're the feedback we're now getting from the insurers is that it's not happening. And as a result of this, uh, five insurers have already decided, well, we're going to make this mandatory. So my big fear here now is that the renewal notices that are going out, people are looking at them going, oh, they're only looking at the price because that's what we always look at. That's what Yeah, the bill, it's, they see it as a bill has come in and Correct. they know what they it's paid up. last year and they Correct. go, oh and my God, that's really gone up. Correct, it's up 100 euros for some reason and next thing they, they, they ring or, or and at least if they ring, we can give have some chat with them and say, look, what the insurance company has done is that they've increased your buildings by 25%, so you've gone from 200 to 250 because you did nothing about it. Now, obviously, people can go back, but what we're finding is that people are going online and putting in 200 as the sum insured and ignoring the advice that's coming from the central bank. And then they're, they're under... They're actually under-insured. But, 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 but my big fear on this one, uh, Paul, and what you're saying is making absolute sense and what the central bank is saying is making absolute sense and even what the insurance companies are saying are making absolute sense. But we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis. My fear is that if a large uh, renewal bill comes in that somebody might say, I just can't afford that at all this year. And, and that is happening as well, unfortunately, Patricia. That is happening. So I'm asking people... Yeah. Call in, and I'm just, I'm not saying anything about McCarthy Insurance Group here. There's loads of brokers in your local town area. Call in and have a chat with them. 
we we have offices all over Cork and Kerry. We're at Waterford, Limerick. We're, come in and have a chat about it. At least it'll cost you nothing to have a chat and just say, is there another way around this? Could my ins- would my insurance company take my premium but over twelve months, as an example? Mm. Or how can I get around this? But please get some advice on it because the claims. Uh, and I've given you some details of claims there. They're, they're, the claims haven't stopped. If anybody thinks that they have, we're back now, and the, the level of claims for household insurance is bigger than pre-COVID, and they have a bigger bite to them. So the claim that might have been 50000 before COVID is now 100000 and they're taking a huge amount of time because you can't get builders. That's it. That, that is That's a massive, massive. And then a couple of other things that uh, in the last few minutes while I have you on air, um, they, they, an oil clean-up when something goes wrong with your oil tank. I keep on about this. I've oiled myself, so I'm very conscious of it. If you get the smell of oil, check it out. That's the most important thing. Have you a leak or did somebody interfere with your tank? Or maybe you have a problem with your with your oil burner. But oil is the worst thing ever because now it's an environmental problem. And I'm dealing with a claim at the moment where there are three gardens. There's three households involved in this from the leaking of a tank of oil. And it's absolutely horrendous, and you have to get the you have, you have to get the experts in. Oh yeah, it's uh, the clean up is it happened correct. with and, it and, happened and with my sister. She had a crack, but luckily they spotted the crack in yeah. the oil tank in in time. Uh, but yeah, but if but, it, but if you get a smell, I suppose that's what yeah. I try to do. Highlight it in advance. Another one I wanted to highlight is we're now coming into the season. We're coming into the autumn. People will be lighting the fires. For God's sake, get the chimney cleaned, okay. number one. And ask the chimney cleaner when he's there. Would he have a look at the chimney? Would, do you know what I mean? A bit, a bit of, he'd see things that you won't see. So when, when we go to look at chimney fires after, after the event, unfortunately, you're looking at a, a big crack up along the side of the wall. And you're saying, what was that? well, there was a small one there, but now it's big. I mean... Is that wear and tear? It's not wear and tear. It's not. It's covered under your policy, but some insurers are calling it wear and Ah, tear, which is not right. Okay. It's not right. And then I had a friend of mine who had a huge problem with subsidence in her house. Now, luckily, the insurance company were fantastic, and and it was all sorted. But again, you got to check that with with your insurance company. A number of insurance companies in recent years have deleted subsidence from their policies and have offered policies without subsidence and, and, and water damage as well, leakage of water. So you need, to be, you need to be very conscious when you're moving your insurance to check to see that all that you want covered, and you do forget about these things because you're not thinking about subsidence. But I'm dealing with a €300,000 claim at the moment for subsidence in the county. Well, and that'll be buried in the small print. So you, so you, you do, no, you, you do need to know. very lucky. We have the cover. It's all there. Great. We've engineers okay. climbing all over to see okay. how did this happen. Okay, I have to. I have to leave it there. I'm I'm out on uh, time, uh, but I know you also want people to be uh, careful of handymen. If you're having handymen uh, working in your house, check are they covered on check, your insurance? Check, and dog check, bites. Check. Dog bites is a big one as well. Our dog calling accidents. Make sure your dog is covered. Okay, my mind of information as always, Paul. Thank you for that. Have a good month. We'll chat again next month. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.
Good morning to you. That is Paul Kavanagh of uh, McCarthy Insurance Group. If you are a rugby fan or you've got a rugby fan in the household, then make sure you're tuned our way next week because Ireland versus South Africa, Stade de France Paris, it's on September the 23rd and we want to send you and a friend to support Ireland on what is the world stage. We've got return flights booked, three nights accommodation in Paris and also it's run in just for good measure is what's called a gold category match ticket. Now those gold category match tickets actually come with hospitality and you can find out how you could win what is described as the ultimate rugby experience. This and out next Monday. We'll have all the details from uh, next uh, Monday and you'll get the details with uh, Ken on breakfast next Monday morning from 8.15 only on C103. It is a big, big one coming your way. Now some of your thoughts and comments coming in. I mentioned and I played out that piece that Katie O'Keefe, our news reporter, when she caught up with uh, Michael McGrath, who was in Cork over the weekend and he was speaking to reporters and uh, Katie asked him in particular about energy bills and people worried about their electricity bills and would there be any energy credits? And he said, yeah, there's going to be energy credits similar to what they gave last year. Don't know if they're going to give as many as they gave last year, but in the budget, which is only seven weeks away, we so we've only seven weeks to hear what the government are planning to do to carry us all over the autumn and the winter months when our electricity bills will be extremely high. Somebody says, Patricia, whatever help the government will give struggling house hardworking taxpayers Eamon Ryan, and this is what this listener describes as the lettuce brigade will nullify it with outlandish policies. That's uh, from uh, D who I'm assuming from that text is not a fan of uh, the Greens and some of their policies. And I mentioned about the new entrant that has come onto the market today. It's a newcomer called You Know Energy and they claim to be offering the cheapest energy on the market at the moment. And I mentioned that they gave out their, they, they, they said they're the cheapest in the market and their kilowatt per hour is 38.04 cent including VAT and I've said that I didn't know what my kilowatt unit was per hour but according to Uno Energy this is the cheapest that's prompted somebody who will always pick you up when you say something to say I'm not sure how you could say you don't know your kilowatt unit rate how do you make comparisons when you change providers somebody must have money to burn no I don't have money to burn <laughs> and obviously when I'm changing providers then I will be checking out what the kilowatt what what I meant was I don't off the top of my head know what I'm paying per kilowatt hour. Obviously you do. You're a man or a woman in the know. I don't know because you don't, you, you don't sign your text. But thank you for your text to 0862103103. I can see texts coming in for Annalise. Keep those coming, uh, please, because she'll be with us in a couple of minutes. And then there was another lovely text in about somebody wanting to call out what happened yesterday. Hi, Patricia. Great crowd. And fabulous oration given from Tommy Gorman yesterday to honour the great Michael Collins of Bail Nablaw. Delighted to see the Lord Mayor of Cork and the Deputy Mayor of Cork. Well done to all. And that is from uh, Morris. Now, I wasn't at the event uh, yesterday, but I was at what I was reading on the papers on this morning, but I was also reading online what was said uh, at it. And I thought it was a great choice, actually, to have to, for the oration at Bail Nablaw to be given by the former RTE Northern editor, uh, Tommy Gorman, who looked 
looking at the photographs, looked incredibly uh, well. And as part of his oration, he said that Ireland must show the pragmatism that he says was obviously a core quality of Michael Collins in adapting to the challenges posed for Northern Ireland and in particular the Ang- Anglo-Irish uh, uh, relations uh, by uh, Brexit. And of course, yesterday marked the 101st anniversary of the death of Michael Collins in uh, Bail and Law. And he spoke about something that I was I wasn't aware of. Now, maybe this was on other people's uh, radar, but it was an event that happened last month in the London suburb of Islington. Now, Islington was where Michael Collins was actually initiated into the Irish Republican Brotherhood back in 1909. And in Islington last month, a plaque honouring Michael Collins was unveiled with the support of the local council in uh, Islington. And it's part of the Islington's Irish Trail that honours the history of the Irish community in the area. And Tommy Gorman made the point, you know, that this is in the middle of London. It's also where, sadly, at times during our lifetime, Irish men and women planted bombs where victims included citizens. So he saw the erection of that Michael Collins plaque in Islington last month illustrates the potential of British-Irish relations. Our past happened. It shouldn't be denied. It shouldn't be glossed over. But now it's different and the future can be even better. So I thought that was a a really good point as part of his uh, oration. So thank you to that listener uh, who sent in that, Morris, who was there yesterday and said it was a fabulous, fabulous occasion. And then somebody was out and about in Donorell Park uh, last week. Beautiful day, out for a walk. But this system was very disappointed because there wasn't any hand wash or sanitizer available in the toilet. And this listener says with COVID still out and uh, about, they really need to make sure that the hand wash or the sanitizer is full. Both were empty. Now, when I see a text like that coming in, my initial reaction is, did you point it out uh, to somebody to say that the toilets that, you know, are without hand sanitizer and without hand soap? There's no point coming away and complaining about something. It's like if you're in any kind of a restaurant or um, in a pub or a hotel and you go into the toilets, for example, and it's, un, you know, it's messed up or like that, it's out of whatever, hand soap or, or out of towels, point it out. And, you know, the owners are only too happy to hear about it because if it's very busy, they, they might, mightn't have, somebody mightn't have gone in and checked at the time that they were meant to go in and check and maybe they were unaware that they were out of it. And I'm always saying that to people that that's uh, really what you should be doing. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You uh, can keep your questions coming in for... Um, for Annalise Drissel. We're getting a lot of those in. Keep those uh, coming. And I mentioned about the the World Athletics Championships that are on at the moment. It's great to see the Irish are doing well. Jer in Ahad has said that he watched the World Cup final yesterday morning. Wants to say well done to Spain. A great win for them yesterday. I watched that match as well. I just think it was the hour of the day. It was uh, it was unusual sitting down to watch <laughs> watch a football match on a Sunday morning, but it was great. And uh, my goodness, ladies soccer has come on so much. The style and the class. I mean, they are as good as their male counterparts. They really are. And it was it was a great great uh, match and a uh, great win for Spain and commiserations uh, to England. 0818 103 103 Our lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie And some events from our community diary for this week. The Lombardstown 
five-mile road race in association with Mount Hillary AC is on this Thursday at half past seven. The start and finishing is at Crowley's Bar in Gertrude and registration is €15. The next Nazareth House Lotter draw, that will be held on next Thursday. And they ask, they're thanking everyone for your continued support. Three o'clock in the afternoon at Nazareth House. And there'll be Kaylee sets in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic on Friday night. Dancing from half at nine. Admission is ten euro. And that does include teas. And Cullinan District Special Needs Annual Vintage Afternoon is down for next Sunday in Cullen GAA Grounds. And there'll be a vintage display, live music with Peter Lane and the Cullen Pipe Band. There'll be a balloon artist, Jenny the Clown, uh, Travelling Forge and Blacksmith Display, Children's Games and Sports, Raffle, Lucky Dip and it's very much fun for all the family. Good luck with everybody involved with Cullum and District uh, Special Needs. If you've got an item that you'd like to include on our Community Diary, then you can email diary at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Someone's just sent in a WhatsApp um, from NCT Ireland saying, Patricia, have you seen this? And I haven't. And it's, uh, I don't know, is that a tweet that was sent from NCT saying, We're saying goodbye to cash. NCTS are going cashless over the coming months for your safety and convenience. This means that payment must be made in advance of attending for your NCT. When introduced, payment can be made online or by postal order. Hashtag cashless, hashtag NCT. OK, I'm, I'm a bit confused because I thought when you booked your NCT that the only way you can book is with um, a debit card or a credit card. Uh, now, they don't take the money out until you do your test. I wasn't aware. I thought that was the only way that they were doing it, that they never accepted uh, cash. But the fact that it says on that... Um, you can use that they're going they're going cashless I'm just doing a quick look on uh, line uh, it says okay you, you you have to have as far as I know you have to have a card for booking it but you have been able to pay cash I think on the day I think that's where the confusion but anyway listen let, it, let us look into it because this listener I don't know when NCT put that up whether they only put it up today or not but uh, we'll certainly look into it but it, now they're saying you can bring a postal order with you uh, because I know straight away you're going to people saying I don't have a card what am I going to do but if you can bring a postal order uh, it's up on their Facebook an hour ago thank you thank you it just, it just went up um, this morning uh, hi and, and this listener says Patricia no you you don't need a card to book NCT. You can pay cash when you arrive. Okay, sorry, I wasn't aware of that. I always thought that you had to put in card details when you're when you're booking it. Okay, so this is new. Now they're not saying on that particular post on Facebook when it's happening. Is it? Is it? I mean, I, I assume there has to be some kind of a lead in. It says when introduced. Okay, uh, leave it with us, and we look into it and try to find out when that is going to come into play. Particularly because I don't want somebody you know, turning up for their NCT, thinking they can pay in cash only to silver because they didn't see it on the, on the Facebook. I'm assuming that they'd put it up on their website as well. So leave it with us and we'll see if we can get a date on it. But they are at least offering the option of a postal order. Now, I know that's going to be a little bit inconvenient for people because it's going to mean 
if you don't have a debit or a credit card, you're going to have to go to the post office. You're going to have to get your, what is it, 55 uh, euro uh, to pay for the NCT and you're going to have to get your postal order and then go along to the NCT centre. So it'll be a pain in the butt for some people, for sure. Uh, but it's yet, is it is yet another service that is going cashless. And, you know, we need that legislation put in place to protect cash because we've said it countless times before, not everybody deals with credit cards and debit cards and there will always be people who like the idea of physically using cash. They like to, you know, they feel that they can manage their finances better by dealing with uh, cash. And we we are more and more moving towards a cashless society. But I, I always... It, it always saddens me when we're pushing people who don't want to go cashless. I think that uh, that the that alternative should be there. It should be either or. It shouldn't be one or the other. But anyway, they say they're doing it for security reasons and to keep everybody else safe. We'll we'll look into it at more. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. But thank you, well spotted, and thank you for getting it uh, to us. Hi, Patricia. Well done to the Mill Street Pipe Band. They also performed a Bail in the Blaw yesterday, and they were at the Rose of Tralee on Saturday night. Do you know? that they've been going to Tralee to perform at the Rose Tralee since 1959. Isn't that incredible? Well done. And this sister says they also have a lovely new uniform. So well done to everybody involved in the military pipe band. They're great. They are, they are really are a terrific uh, band. And another Sarah wants to raise this issue and is wondering, do the members of Angar the Shea Corner ever stop tractors and diggers that are out driving at night? According to Sarah, there are drivers, some drivers of these vehicles who drive the vehicle to the pub, go in and have a few drinks and then drive these large vehicles back home again. I think they should be stopped and checked for drink driving. I'm sure they are. If it's a a vehicle on the road, then regardless of what the vehicle is, I mean, if Angarza Siakona thinks somebody is under the influence, then they will. They will stop them and they, you know, when they have checkpoints, regardless of what you're in, just because you're driving a tractor or a large piece of equipment. I'm assuming everybody gets stopped equally. 0818103103. Mary in the City has been on to John Paul about crash fees. Now we did deal with this topic last week on the programme where we dealt about that if they don't, if the government don't do something uh, for the private creches in this country, unfortunately a lot of them are closing. Mary says crash fees are so high now, it's a mortgage on top of a mortgage also, with some schemes, it's tougher as it depends on when the child was born. Mary's talking about the early childhood care and education uh, scheme, the the ECI, isn't that what that isn't that what it's called? So we've gone online, and according to the HSC, when your child is three. They may be ready to attend a preschool programme. The Early Childhood Care and Education, the ECI scheme, provides free care and education for preschool children available for three hours a day, five days a week, 38 weeks of the year. It kind of covers the school terms, uh, really. If your child then attends for more than three hours, you're obviously charged by the provider for the extra hours and you access this scheme in early years settings such as preschool, Montessori, creche and uh, play school. All children now, of course, that got recently introduced are entitled to two 
two full academic years of the ECI scheme. But your child must be at least two years and eight months by the 31st of July of the year to qualify. And I think that becomes the problem. It depends what time of the year your child was born, which I think always seems really, really unfair. But I suppose the department will say there'll have to be a cut off. And I'm assuming that's what Mary is talking about. But yes, you are right. Crash fees are extremely expensive. And for people that have got young children and they've got a large mortgage at the same time, it's like paying two mortgages every single uh, month. John in Cove is agreeing with Jer in Ahada. Great to see Spain winning yesterday. And John was fearful if England won, we'd never hear the end of it. John says they're still on about their win in 1966. And I don't know if you were watching the the preamble into the match kicking off uh, yes, yesterday morning I was watching it on BBC and they actually, they actually showed the goal from the 1966 World Cup final so yes they're, they're still dine, dining out on that and they're still waiting for what do they think football is uh, coming home but you'd have to feel sorry for the Lionesses I mean they had a great uh, tournament uh, but they got beaten by certainly by a better team Spain were, were incredible yesterday John in Lep says many toilet facilities that had hand sanitizers and other facilities within public toilets get misused so you can see why some decide not to restock um, they don't want to leave hand, sa- san- hand sanitizers out they are getting misused and people yeah but I think I, I but it depends on what, what toilets you're actually talking about I think for the majority of public toilets when you go in you do expect to have, have at least some kind of soap or some kind of some kind of hand sanitizer because let's be honest and we've spoken about this COVID has not gone away and another story that's not going away is RTE and the Daily Mail actually are running with a front page story to say that RTE are facing cross-party political revolt is how they're describing it. If RTE attempt to make sure that revenue land the job of collecting the TV uh, licences. Now, we know that our state broadcaster is really, really cash-strapped at the moment and they've raised the possibility of the current funding model being replaced by a new media licence or a levy which should be applicable to all households. Now, this, this has been spoken about for a number of years, but I think it's really now coming back up again because RTE are so cash strapped and the proposed changes according to the Daily Mail have met stern resistance now one minister they're obviously not naming the various ministers who they speak with said are they for real are they seriously suggesting that we impose the TV equivalent of water charges in the run up to a general election now the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar also said that he believes it is nearly time to bite the bullet and to legislate for funding RTE but another minister says if we do this next year, 2024, year of an uh, election, the public would be infuriated. He says there would be a political revolt if that was attempted. We, 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 what we basically would be doing is bringing in the equivalent of the local property tax. He said it would be political madness. Now, last year, of course, we know the government, they, um, after taking a year to consider, there was the Future of Media Commission. They rejected the report's finding 
that we should replace the current TV licence and instead that the Exchequer should fully fund RTE and do it out of general taxation. The government said no to that and they adopted all of the other recommendations but they said no uh, to that. Now we're a year later and the government has still yet to come up with alternatives. So we've got three party leaders and we have a media minister, Catherine Martin. They're all believed to have been given a series of options around the long-term funding of RTE, uh, including allowing revenue to collect the licence fee, a little bit like what revenue do for the property uh, tax, or they could still look at funding it from the Exchequer, or they could impose a new media licence. Now, it seems RTE's preferred option is that the revenue commissioners would start collecting what they're saying is an expanded TV licence. So an expanded TV licence would be charged on all households and that would mean obviously less um, TV licence evasion, which RTE reckon costs them £6 million, uh, annually. One minister says that they're worried that what they're going to hear from RTE is that it's the government's job to rescue them. This minister said they're wrong. It's RTE's job to rescue themselves. He said they need to come to us with a plan, preferably an offer that we can't refuse. He said we need clarity before we can look at a funding model. And officially when it comes to a bailout about interim funding for RTE, they're reckoning now £25 million is the figure that's been suggested and the finance minister Michael McGrath I know he was speaking at the moment at the, you know he was speaking at the weekend in Cork he confirmed that serious discussions are on the cards around the level of that interim funding and it's believed final measures on the level of a bailout required by the broadcaster won't be agreed until at least the middle of next month and the TV licence revenue while RTE say with people not paying it at 6 million that was before any of the scandals. The, it's now down a further 4.6 million since the broadcaster became engulfed in the controversy surrounding uh, Ryan Tuberty and the unease about the slowness of RTE's response um, has been called out by the Public Accounts Committee Chair Brian Stanley. He says the Grant Thornton report uh, that came out last week, he said that raises more questions. He said we need finality on how the Tuberty deal was structured. He said we also need the station to reconcile the differences between the testimony of Richard Collins and Breathe O'Keefe. Now, Breathe O'Keefe was the former financial officer. Richard Collins is the current one. He says it is utterly unsatisfactory that six weeks after this emerged, he said, we still don't have clarity. He said the Director General must seize control. But interesting, Brian Stanley was more supportive of Kevin Backer's plan to review top level pay, saying it would be right and appropriate and would represent an act of leadership. Ordinary workers, he said, have taken serious cuts within RTE. He said it's time for the top brass to lead by example and certainly listen to Kevin Bass last week when he was talking about ending negotiations with Ryan Tuberty and when he was talking about that they were very, very close to signing the deal. He did mention that the deal was for 170000 which is a lot less than what Ryan Tuberty and other big earners are getting. And he intimated that going forward when contracts are going to be negotiated, that's the figure I think he's going to have on the table. And I imagine that's leaving some of the very high paid RT staff scratching their heads, dreading when their contract is up for renewal. It's the big one. Ireland v South Africa. Stade de France, Paris, September 23rd.
We want to send you and a friend to support Ireland on the world stage. Return flights, three nights in Paris and gold category match tickets with hospitality. Find out how you could win the ultimate rugby experience. Listen Monday morning at 8.15 on C103. Patricia, with your comment. 086 to 103103. Cork today on C103. And just before we go to Annalise, just on the NCT, somebody said, Patricia, I recently booked my NCT test and the money was taken immediately from my account. I always thought it went out on the day, but I've just checked with the NCT testing service. They're frequently asked questions and they say that the test fee is deducted in full from your credit and debit account once the booking has been confirmed. OK, oh, I thought it was I thought it was on the day, but I'm just wondering about people paying in uh, cash. We're going to have to look into that because as I say, it's just gone up in the last hour that they're stopping taking uh, cash payments. OK, let's uh, go to Annalise Drissel, uh, our nutritional therapist at the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And we've lots of questions in, so let's get straight into them. Now, Michael actually had contacted us during the week. Um, he suffers some tinnitus. He's tried everything. Um, and he's any suggestions from Annalise on what to do? And he contacted us during the week to ask us to put this question to you today, but also to do a shout out to other listeners who might have suffered with tinnitus. And the one thing we got back from other listeners were uh, people found getting a hearing aid helped didn't eradicate the tin the tinnitus but it did help yeah that sounds that that definitely could be possible patricia i know there is a machine that people can buy and you have to i think do a, a couple of hours or an hour of it every day and it's supposed to i don't know retrain the brain i've heard very mixed reports about it and it is quite expensive so a hearing aid might be a far better and more accessible option so Tinnitus is a very difficult one because we don't really know what causes it. I think if you've developed tinnitus after a viral infection, it could be that the virus has affected the canals or something in the inner ear where it's caused inflammation. And I definitely know that virus vertigo that causes vertigo, that cause can also cause tinnitus. Um, And I think what happens is that it must be some sort of inflammation and maybe it's pressing on a nerve and you get that tinnitus. I have tinnitus myself, Patricia, but mine comes actually from my my back and my neck. So if my neck is very bad, I'll always know I get tinnitus and my my hands, my fingers on my right hand go numb. So for for the the former option, if it's inflammation, you have to follow an anti-inflammatory approach. And there used to be a great supplement that they took off the market and it was uh, by Nature's Plus called hearing support and in it what there was was a combination of natural anti-inflammatories so instead of what was in that we recommend um, Scientifica P4 Immune it's called Um, actually sorry it's by One Nutrition Uh, it used to be uh, the other company before P4 Immune this has very high natural antioxidants and anti-inflammatories in that there was also in there rosemarinic acid which comes from rosemary so I'd get a good rosemary oil and put a few drops in with some you know, warm water, or if you've rosemary growing in your garden, make it into a tea. And it also had a probiotic in there called um, Streptococcus salivarius. Uh, So it's the one that's present a lot in our saliva. So it's a bit of a mishmash of things. 
But that was what was in the other supplement and that seemed to work very well if the tinnitus was caused by inflammation. And then if it's, if it's something to do, if you think it's with, to do with your back or your neck, you'll need to see a chiropractor. And uh, I go to see Dr. Karina Maloney. She, she sorted me out. It was a long road and she'll always say it's the most challenging thing she faces is tinnitus. But I've had great relief from that. And if people want her number, they can call the shop. I'll give it to them. Okay, well done. This is in from uh, Colette, who is suffering from gout in her thumb joint. It's the joint nearest to the wrist. Colette describes it as swollen, red, shiny. And if she bends her thumb, it's like it's full of poison, is how she describes it. Now, she did have gout in one of her toes many years ago, so she knows what the pain is and knows uh, what it is. She wants to know, are there any herbal medicines uh, that she can, you would suggest? She said she was particularly bad over the weekend. It started about three weeks ago and just this morning, her favourite mug fell out of her hand. Now, she Googled uh, and saw Devil's Claw but wondering what is the best course of action. She'd prefer a natural route as it's so hard to get into the doctor plus with the cost, etc. before she even gets a prescription. She doesn't, she accepts that she doesn't drink enough water but she's trying to do it now the past few days and she's also been eating cherries. What advice would you have for her? Yeah, so now I've great news for, for this because it's actually very easy to prevent gout from happening and the answer actually is cherries. The sour cherries are the Montmorency cherries and they're very expensive to buy fresh. So I suggest that everybody take the juice. You'll get it in the health store. It comes in cordial form mostly. You can buy tart cherry juice in, um, in pure form, but um, it's, it's um, much easier to have it in the cupboard, I think, as, as the concentrated sort of cordial form. And you just mix it up with a bit of water. And actually, that cherry juice, people take it at night for sleep. It's also very good for blood pressure. So like every natural remedy, it does more jobs than one. But gout is the buildup of something called uric acid in the blood. And uric acid results as a breakdown of proteins, particularly purine proteins. So if you um, want to go online and Google um, purine, P-U-R-I-N-E, rich foods, these are the foods that will increase uric acid in your blood very significantly. And it's things like meat, organ meat. Um, beer is another big one as well, so stay away from beer. Um, but you'll get a full list of those very simply online and try and minimize or limit those foods uh, as much as possible, especially if you're in a flare-up. And then drinking cherry juice every day as a preventative is better than cure because, I mean, once it's flared up, it's actually you're in an extreme stage. And it can be very painful, Patricia, because... The uric acid crystallizes around joints, and it's and I've had a customer in where when you you could actually see the crystals through the skin. They were so extreme; they were pushing up like hard nodules through the skin. So it's excruciatingly painful. Um, Turmeric is a very good natural anti-inflammatory. So if you are in a flare-up, I would suggest taking at least three to four glasses of the cherry cordial every day, along with three to four doses of a good quality turmeric supplement from the the. the health shop and that will bring the inflammation down quicker as well. Yeah, because Henry VIII was famous for having gout and it was kind of known as the rich man's disease because it was a very rich diet, wasn't it? Was, it was, exactly, yeah, because yeah. people really couldn't afford to eat meat in, in yeah. those days, whereas they would have eaten a huge amount of meat and they would have drank an awful lot of beer and, um, yeah, and, that and just wine as well. So that's yeah. where it really mostly comes from. OK, good luck with that, uh, Colette. Uh, nutrition question. I know it's not good to eat late at night in general, but what foods should I eat for a good night's sleep, particularly if I'm peckish late at at night, uh, something that will enhance sleep? I think probably a yogurt is one of the nicest things to have going asleep if you're not dairy intolerant. 
um, there'd be a couple of things in a yogurt that would um, be, for, you know, good for sleep. And that is a protein called tryptophan, which is a precursor to melatonin, our sleep hormone. Um, in actual fact, you can buy nighttime milk where melatonin, they milk the cow at night and the melatonin in that is higher for the calves. Um, so that's, it's, that could be a good snack. Also, it's slowly broken down, so it will keep your blood sugar stable throughout the night. And it's very easy to digest, so you're not going to be going to bed with a full stomach. Other than that, I mean, maybe something like, um, you know, a slice of brown bread and a banana. Again, you don't want something too heavy that's going to be sitting in your stomach because that could maybe cause indigestion when you're sleeping. Yeah, keep keep it light. Uh, hi, Patricia. Uh, 36-year-old taking Source of Life Gold every day for years now, but my energy has gone low again. What would you recommend? So um, well, the Source of Life Gold is nearly always what we recommend as the tonic because it is great for energy. I actually think if, if you are taking it every day and your energy is low, there's something underlying that you need to figure out and get that sorted out. Now, the one thing I'd say about the source of life gold is that it isn't particularly high in iron. There is some iron in it, but and there's plenty B12, but if your iron was getting low, if you're not a red meat eater, that could be another reason for tiredness. Um, I mean, stress is a big cause of tiredness, adrenal fatigue, you know, that, that kind of feeling tired but wired, that can be down to stress. Sometimes people feel um, tired because their immune system is fighting something. So it could be maybe addressing something like that. So I think in this case, really, it is about trying to find the root cause. But for anybody who wants a kind of a quick energy burst without a caffeine buzz, I would go for ginseng. I take it myself every now and then if I'm flagging in the afternoon. Um, it's very good. You get a good burst of energy and a kind of a slow, slow burst. You know, you're not... The, sort of that feeling wired that you get from drinking too much coffee but it definitely helps with focus and concentration and it definitely helps with a bit of energy so Siberian ginseng is probably the best one for that but there is a supplement here that we have in the shop which is called Terra Nova Dynamic Energy it's a blend of all the ginsengs and it's the one I go for and I think it's fun. I think it's great for just a quick energy burst but it won't address the root cause Okay, stay on Source of Life Gold because uh, Joan uh, is feeling very weak after a bout of uh, COVID. She tried to get Source of Life Gold at her local head shop, but it was out of stock. Is there anything else you could recommend? And is there a shortage um, on Source there, of Life? Well, there was a problem with the Source of Life Gold. The last batch, actually, the spirulina fermented. So I'm taking that batch now. Okay. <laughs> it's fine to me. A little bit fizzy, but it's okay. Um, so most of the Source of Life Gold large bottles were pulled off the shelf. Ah. Um, some shops will have it, so I'd say check online. We only have the small bottles here in stock, but we also have the tablets. So the Source of Life Gold, but also if you can't get your hands on that anywhere, Oxylent is a great one. I think it's very easy to um, to absorb the nutrients in it. Um, and that's a nice sort of a tonic multivitamin. And of course, the Revive Active has a lot of CoQ10 and arginine in there and that's always good for an energy buzz as well so either of those would do the job in the, in the place of the source of life gold Okay Liz is battling menopausal flushes and sweats at night what would you recommend? So the best for hot flushes always is sage um, sage tablets or sage tincture you'll get Dr Vogel does them um, Dr Clara does it they're the best but Generally, for menopause symptoms, I love the all-rounder of the plant-based hormones that come from soya isoflavones. And you'll get those in um, supplements like Dong Kwai. Um, there's, there's a company called Bionutri. They do a lignin plus that I've taken and I found very good. Um, the lignins actually also you get 
in the flax seeds and chia seeds. So putting those naturally onto your breakfast cereal in the morning will give you some of those isoflavones. And you could also eat more soya. A lot of women in Asian countries have little to no menopausal symptoms and they think it's because of the isoflavones found in soya. So if you like soy and tofu, you could eat that. Um, but definitely for the hot flushes, sage. And at the beginning, you could probably take it two or three times a day just to get it, you know, increase it in your system to get on top of it quickly. Okay, and someone just finally, go back to tinnitus for a second. Uh, could ten, tin, tinnitus have anything to do with working with very loud noises? Do you know somebody? Oh, who, definitely. Yeah, okay. And unfortunately, that is hearing damage. And really, there's nothing that can unfortunately undo that hearing damage. Um, in those cases, like there is actually um, Lyra, L-Y-R-I, I think it is, is a company in Ireland and they help people with tinnitus. And really what they do is they help you come to terms with living with it. Um, so that you can manage to get those noises to fade into the background. Because the problem with tinnitus is, is, is that it just it's like an earworm, Patricia. Mm. You, know, you start focusing on it and then it drives you crazy. So if you can actually start to try and ignore those noises. Um, so I think that company, LYRA, I think the name of the company is, that might help in that circumstance there. Okay, and very finally, Barry in Ovens has been on. He's got what he thinks was the spider's bite on his leg. He's, he, there's a red kind of a spot where the spider bit, but his leg is now red and swollen and extremely painful. What would you recommend? Yeah, okay. The first thing now um, that I would, like if there's there's a very much an increase in Lyme disease in Ireland, Patricia, which comes from the bite of a tick. Now, it's mostly in the earlier months of the summer, but if he has been somewhere where there could be ticks, the typical sign of that would be a kind of a bite and then it's almost like a, a bullseye so you'd have the bite and then a white circle and then a red circle around it so if it's that go to the doctor get an antibiotic um, I keep bees with my dad and I'm allergic to bee stings and this time of the year I get quite a lot of them and actually what I find the absolute best is putting ice on it an ice pack and I take um, apis meal which is a homeopathic remedy and it takes the pain and the itch out of it far quicker than any antihistamine so it's um, called APIS, APIS. It's actually like with homeopathy. It's the poison that poisons you, you take. So I think there's probably little bits of B in the APIS meal. Um, and take that a couple of hours, every few hours. The other thing I find good as well is there's a cream that you can get in the pharmacy. And it's called Antisan, A-N-T-I-S-A-N. And I think it's like it's kind of nearly like an um, antihistamine cream and you can put that on the bite as well but just be very careful it doesn't get infected because you don't want to get blood poisoning Okay, alright, good advice Listen as always thank you for that have a lovely week and we'll chat next Monday Thanks Patricia Thanks a million that's Annalise Russell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic she'll put up all of the information on her website healthhubstore.com That's where I leave you for today we have reached out to NCT and hopefully we'll have an answer back for them on them uh, not taking cash anymore we should have an answer back for them tomorrow Okay, thanks to John Paul for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow at 10 Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.